0: Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're catching up with William Johnson. William is Managing Director of the iron ore and battery materials focused Strike Resources. The wonderfully named Strike trades under the code SRK or Sierra Romeo Kilo to be sure. It last traded at 10 cents for a market cap of about 20 million. As mentioned, Strike has a twin focus on iron ore and battery materials. Its iron ore exposure is in WA's Pilbara, with a longer-dated option in Peru. Strike's positioning on battery metals is courtesy of Lithium in Argentina and Graphite in Queensland. You may have noticed that Strike's share price has been edging up of late. The move is due to the recent release of a feasibility study into a development of the Paulsons East Project in the Pilbara. It is a project capable of throwing off a lot of cash relative to Strike's modest market cap. As we all know, China's V-shaped economic recovery has kept iron ore prices at elevated levels. Uh, Today, iron ore is what, $125 a tonne, making for Australian dollars, $171 a tonne. Fantastic prices. Now, while some predict iron ore will weaken in the months ahead, others like Elizabeth Gaines at Fortescue reckon the price should stay nice and strong through 2021. As it is, strikes feasibility study covers the potential for some price weakness, but Paul's East would still come out with a robust uh, cash flow generation capability if that were to, uh, in fact, come to pass. Now, I'll get William to run through all that in a moment. First, I'm going to welcome him to the podcast. Hi, William, and thanks for your time today. Hi, Barry, it's uh, nice to be here again. Great. William, um, always nice to start out with a bit of a professional background on yourself. Yes. Look, um, thanks, Barry. Look, um, I'm, as you can probably
1: tell from my accent, English, um, studied engineering at Oxford University in England. And then, um, I sort of worked in the resource exploration industry for a couple of years overseas, ended up in Australia, and I've been involved, uh, with Strike pretty much since the beginning, um, early 2003, 2004, when Strike was listed as a, uh, resource exploration company. And um, for pretty much all that time, since um, the early 2000s until now, we've had a very strong focus on the iron ore uh, industry, um, primarily through our uh, large scale project in Peru, which perhaps we can talk about a bit later. Um, but more recently, with our Paulson's project here in um, Pilbara, which, as you correctly mentioned in the introduction, um, we're focusing on now to um, get into production as quickly as we can to take advantage of the current strong iron ore prices.
0: Wow. Well, okay. I don't think we've ever had an Oxford graduate on the, on the podcast. So um, we're going uptown today, that's for sure. Now, uh, before looking at Porton's East and the feasibility study, tell us about the overarching strategy of the company, in particular the dual focus of iron ore and battery materials. It's a bit different, so it be interesting to hear your explanation. Yes, it is, and
1: um look, I mean we were i guess um, focused on iron ore um, before and during the last iron ore boom right uh, about two thousand eight two thousand and nine um, and as I said, our focus then was in South America with our very large uh, magnetite high grade magnetite projects over there after i guess when that when the sort of last boom started um, to fade away, uh, we looked around for alternative. I guess, um, projects to, if you like, spread the risk. And, um, we noticed, um, that the battery minerals sector was picking up. And so we felt as a sort of our diversification, uh, we'd see if we could find some, some good large scale battery minerals projects. And, um, knowing South America pretty well as we did and knowing that Argentina, um, was renowned for, um, large scale very low cost lithium buying projects we sort of Mm -hmm. focused there and picked up our solar lithium project um, a couple of years ago and um, that project is sitting on our books we're just waiting for the environmental impact assessment to be approved so we can start exploration and um, look it's a a very exciting sort of Mm long-term project in that it um, has a very good address it sits right next door to Ola copper's project on the same lithium vine lake and we have a very large land holding there. So we have the potential to potentially um, develop a project of similar size and scale to our copper's, which um, you know your listeners may know has a market value today of sort of close to a billion dollars. So that's sort of I guess um, where the, the dual focus of the company came from. Um, and now the I guess iron ore uh, market has um, picked up again over the last year. That's sort of where our current focus is and, and particularly now, given that uh, COVID over the last year has restricted our ability to travel to and work in South America. Uh, you know, we've been in a fortunate position of having a really great asset here in the Pilbara, in WA, so it's easy for us to, to travel to. Um, and, um, you know, it's poised to um, get into production relatively quickly so we can take advantage of these um, great iron ore prices.
0: Hmm. I think it would be a fair assessment at this point. Uh, I mentioned the market cap of about 20 mil. That um, was probably justifiable on the lithium in Argentina alone, let alone what's to come, uh, the the base case at uh, Paulson's East.
1: Look, it's a good question. I mean, you're right. I mean, um, as probably most CEOs of junior resource companies um, tell you, they do feel the market undervalues all their assets. And I think that's particularly true with us. Um, Yes, the lithium project has a lot of intrinsic value, uh, as I've just um, mentioned. Our um, large-scale assets in Peru, um, in particular, the the Apromac iron ore project we have over there, I mean, back in 2008, um, that basically drove the share price of the company up to close to $3 and Mm. had a $300 million market cap um, based mainly around that particular project. Now, at that time... Uh, we only had a 60% share of that project. Um, since then, we've managed to to buy out our partners, so we have 100% of the project, mm-hmm. um, and yet, um, at the moment, the market's putting almost zero value on, on that. Now, it, it does have a, a higher capital cost to get into production, but it is definitely um, a very solid long-term um, asset that we have on our books, and I'm very, very confident that... Um, we'll see some of that value reflected in their you know, company's share price uh, in the near to medium term as the, um, you know, Arnold market continues mm. to be strong. Yeah. And then you are, and in terms of uh, Paulson's East, look, I guess that's that's been a, I suppose, a hidden jewel in the company's portfolio. We picked it up about the same time as we did the South American assets in um, in Peru, and we started work on it back in two thousand so in 2006, uh, we did a drilling campaign in 2006 and then again in 2008 to, uh, with the aim of sort of defining the resource and bringing it into production then. However, the Peruvian asset, I guess because it was so much bigger, uh, became our focus and we essentially parked the asset in April uh, whilst we were focusing on that. So I guess it's, um, it's sort of, like I said, it's been a bit of a hidden gem within the, the company, but um, now that we've... Uh, advanced the project considerably with, um, you know, getting uh, native title approval, completing our feasibility study um, and moving towards production um, in the first half of next year, I think you'll find that investors recognise the value of this project and that will be reflected in our share price over the next couple of months.
0: Mm, Okay. So let's have a look at Paulson's East. Um, If you could describe the project for us and just run through some of the uh, feasibility numbers.
1: So the, um, the Paulson's East project um, comprises a three-kilometre-long ridge of outcropping iron ore that places, outcrops up to 60 metres above the surrounding land area. Uh, we've defined a, uh, a jork resource of um, over 9 million tonnes at uh, 61% uh, FE, and within that there's a uh, probable, probable reserve also of about 6, oh, 6 million tonnes, which basically Underpins the production that we've um, focused our uh, feasibility study on, and um, what we're looking to do is uh, mine this uh, deposit and produce approximately one and a half million tons a year of um, high-grade direct shipping ore over four years, uh, mine life of initial mine life of four years, to produce in total about six million tons. Now. Because of the nature of the iron ore, um, what's really interesting is that uh, when the iron ore is um, crushed, most of it uh, is crushed to a, a lump product which typically attracts a significant premium mm-hmm. um, on the iron ore market. So we're going to be producing um, around 75% lump and 25% fines um, and so the material, the lump material that we're going to produce, be producing and we're expecting to be able to deliver a grade of at least sixty-two percent FE, so we should be able to receive a significant premium on the uh, the current benchmark uh, price. Now, at the moment, as he said at the beginning of the of the um, interview, I think uh, the iron ore price is around about one hundred twenty-five dollars US a ton at the mm-hmm. moment, and that's the benchmark price for refines. So um we would expect to be receiving a significant premium to that because we'll be delivering lump into the market rather than fines or or most of our product will be will be lump. So that's the um I guess the production schedule that we're aiming for. Um the mine itself will be uh conventional uh drill and blast, open pit uh mining, and uh because it's direct shipping ore, uh once the ore is is mined. We'll simply be uh, crushing and dry screening it and then loading it onto trucks and hauling it to uh, the Utah Point uh, facility at Port Hedland. And one of the great advantages of, um, of uh, this project is that we have the ability to uh, export out of Port Hedland. Uh, there's sufficient capacity at there at the moment to accommodate our, our needs, and there's all the infrastructure there already established for stockpiling and loading iron ore into ships. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't have to make any investment in uh, in in uh, facilities at the port. It's all it's already there. So from our perspective, the logistics uh, chain is, is is pretty simple. You load the ore onto trucks, truck it to the port, uh, dump it there, and um, then everything there is handled by the the operators at the port. So it's a nice, relatively simple uh, logistics mm-hmm. chain. In terms of the key. Um, uh, economic numbers that came out of the feasibility study. Uh, we're looking at a, a capital cost of um, just under 16 million dollars to get this project into production and um, we've modelled a um, an average oil price of 100 US dollars per tonne essentially declining from current levels over the life of mine down to uh, approximately 85 dollars per tonne four years from now and based upon that assumption, um, we forecast generating about $167 million of pre-tax uh, net cash flow uh, for the company with a net present value of, um, I think, about $140 million. Mm. Uh, so the economics are really good. And if the iron ore prices stay where they are today, um, in $115, $120 uh, per tonne for the life of mine, then, you know, we can potentially generate over $200 million net free cash flow uh, for the company from this project so you know for a, a capital cost of you know less than 20 million dollars generating those sorts of returns are
0: really really attractive mm-hmm. particularly for a, a company with a 20 million dollar market cap currently mm-hmm. okay um uh, the low capex uh 16 million uh very low indeed um but it has to be arranged or organized uh, what's the story there
1: Look, um, we've obviously we need to um, to raise the, the funding to advance the project. Uh, we've got a little under two million dollars left in the company, so uh, we do need to to raise some more money. Look, we've got a couple of avenues there. For the last year, we've been uh, engaging with a number of potential customers, iron ore traders, and off-take partners, and those adv- those discussions have been advancing over the last year, and. A number of those partners or parties um, have expressed an interest in uh, not just uh, securing offtake from the project, but also helping us with project finance, uh, prepayments for shipments, and so on. So there's the potential there to you know, to um, to get some funding from those parties. Mm. We also have uh, a very supportive um, broker in the form of uh, Canaccord, who have been supporting us throughout the last um, year or so, and um, at some point we'll be uh working with them and uh, looking to perhaps um raise some further capital um you know probably over the next year once uh once the um you know we advance the, the permitting uh side of the
0: project mm, okay now <clears throat> some very uh, attractive numbers for the four-year project i was just wondering is there some upside in the uh the ore body or uh, regionally, perhaps
1: Look, um, there, we have identified uh, upside in a number of areas. Uh, firstly, um, the um, as I mentioned at the beginning, the, uh, there's a three kilometer outcropping ridge of iron ore which contains uh, and, and uh, over that three kilometer length, that's where we've defined the sort of nine uh, nine and a half million ton resource. Uh, we have done some drilling um, to the southeast. Of the outcropping ridge and also done some surface sampling and the results from that indicate that it's likely that the iron ore does extend further up to one and a half kilometers within our tenement to the southeast. We haven't fully drilled that out yet but um, like I said the signs do indicate that the ridge sort of dips underground and potentially that could uh, add you know, a one and a half kilometer extension to the resource and um, potentially uh, extend the mine life. Also, um, more recently, we have uh, identified areas of um, high-grade surface um, detrital material, which basically is is iron ore that, over the sort of um, millions of years, have has sort of eroded or um, you know fallen off the the ridge and tumbled yeah. down to the to the base of the of the ridge. And that material, uh, there's large areas of this material up to a couple of meters thick. Um, just lying at the base of the of the witch, and uh, about a month ago we undertook a sampling program to uh, define exactly how much of that material there is and we're just waiting uh, for the results for the test work to come back on that but um, potentially, if there you know does happen to be um, a significant amount of that material, that gives us an opportunity to potentially even you know start uh, a small uh, project um, to generate some early cash flow from the project because this material is essentially um, almost already crushed in that it presents as small pebbles of Mm. of iron ore Um, in a very simplistic way. You know, we could just scoop it up, um, put it in a mobile crushing plant and in theory, quite quickly, um, we could have some material that we could um, deliver to the port and get our first one or two shipments away, um, you know, for um, a relatively small um, investment but that's um we're still waiting for the assay results to come back yet so uh, watch the space on that so to answer your question yes there's some upside in terms of um, extending the resource to the southeast um, and also from the uh, the detrital material and also mm-hmm. not forgetting that you know we have to find a a resource of uh, over nine million tons the uh the plan is just to exploit six million tons over four years because um that's what the the mine plan has, uh, I guess, um, has uh, presented to us as being sort of the optimal given the current sort of iron ore price. But, I mean, if the iron ore price stays high um, or gets higher, then, you know, we can potentially dig deeper and stay mining for longer.
0: Yeah, OK. Now, a question I probably wouldn't have asked uh, 12 months ago, but um, thanks to Rio Tinto, I probably need to ask ask it the relationship with the uh, traditional owners the consent in place look they are and um
1: it's uh, you know we we've um, we've I think developed a good relationship with the traditional owner group and it was un- well, it was very un- unfortunate timing in that we were uh, in the middle of negotiations with the, uh, the PKKP group which is the uh, traditional owners of the land and um that's the same group yeah. Uh, whose, um, I guess, um, caves at uh, Drunken Gorge were destroyed by Rio Tinto. And that, that sort of happened, uh, during the negotiations we were actually holding with the PKKP. So there was a period there for a couple of weeks where we sort of had to pause and wait for, um, you know, things to sort of settle down, but we managed to get them back to the table. And, um, I think, uh, I, I you know, we're very proud of the, the work that we did to get them to the point where they were happy to sign a uh, native type of agreement with us to allow us to 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 mine the bridge. um you know basically we just uh you know we make commitments to be very transparent with them um and i think they appreciated that and uh yeah so um that was a i guess a very positive mm. step and an important milestone
0: um yep. for us okay that's uh that's great to hear the uh first production likely roughly when you think
1: yeah, look, um, it's a good question. So, um, like I said, we've we've been sort of progressively ticking, ticking all the boxes that we need to do to develop the project. The um, agreement with the native title, with the traditional owners, was um, the first major one. Completion of the, the feasibility study um, It's now um, is now done as well. The next step for us is to um, basically get all the permits and approvals needed that we. Uh, require to, to start work on the project. Now um, the main one there is the mining permit from the Department of Mines here in WA. We're just finalising the application for that permit we're just waiting on one final uh, miscellaneous licence application to be uh, granted before we can advance that and um, that sort of really is going to if you like to find the timetable moving forward uh, once we get that application in uh, we would hope that it could be processed um, within six to eight weeks, which is sort of the normal time that these applications take to get processed if there's no issues with them. Um, we've uh, done all the environmental surveys we need to do. We don't think there's any sort of significant issues there, so we're not envisaging any delays, but um, you never know. So, look, mm-hmm. if um if the permitting uh, process proceeds in a timely way, quickly, and we get our permit um, late this year or early next year, um, there's a few other permits and approvals that we need, but we'd hope that if we can sort of get all those um, all those done, sort of in let's say January next year, then we could be in a position to start um, getting on site February and March next year, and then um, the uh, first production would be a few months after that. I mean, internally we're sort of aiming to to um, try and get into production in the first half of the year, obviously sort of before before the end of June. Uh, but that, that is dependent on getting the uh, the permits approved in a timely way.
0: Mm, okay. All right, So let's just bring it all together in in a sense of what should investors be looking out for, say, in the next uh, three three to six months or so. Uh, I guess the permitting process, knocking uh, um, securing those, and uh, first production, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Look, I mean, there's um, I guess the key things from our perspective are. Uh, Permitting uh, and funding,
0: um,
1: and then obviously the company needs to make its final investment decision. And um, you know, once um, once that's done, then it's all systems go.
0: Right. Okay. All right, William. Very interesting story. Um, Obviously, the near-term cash flow in the Pilbara at a time of fantastic iron ore prices, plus the longer term. Big time iron ore potential in Peru and uh, lithium in Argentina. So, uh, I hope we've given uh, listeners a, a good feel for uh, what's ahead of the company and uh, best of luck with it all. And thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, I appreciate what you